What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Week 14 DFS MVP. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. As always, with my co-host, Matt Savoka. If you are a new listener to the show, every week we go over our favorite values for the main slate on FanDuel and DraftKings. Follow it up with a theory segment at the end of each podcast, which teaches you how to be better at DFS, ranging from the macro to the micro. This week, we're going to talk about... The not-so-fun topic of playing through downswings, uh, but one uh, a reality that we all have to face at some point. Before we get into today's show, make sure you're checking out our other DFS shows. Every Monday, Matt and I do a cash game review at 11 a.m. Uh, Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time here on YouTube. Every Saturday, the Yahoo DFS Value Show with Matt Harmon drops on the DFS MVP podcast feed as well as the Yahoo Fantasy podcast feed. And every Sunday morning, the GPP Last Look Show with Jordan Vanek. That is 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time in our subscriber-only Discord. Make sure you get signed up for that in the description below. If you haven't got signed up for it and you're still thinking about dabbling in DFS, our rest-of-season prices dropped to $24 for the rest of the year, and we go through Super Bowl, so still plenty of time to get value out of that subscription. You can use the promo code DFSMVP for an additional 10% off when you sign up. And today's podcast is brought to you by WinBet. WinBet is bringing you the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting, get in on all of your favorite teams, players, and sports from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport we have, which you need to win. Sign up today to receive a special offer, a risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app and use promo code 444 to claim your risk-free bet today. Matt, welcome to week 14, sir. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah. I, I just want to say, I want to say that this is it. This is my least favorite week of DFS so far, just oh. because the puzzle is one that I just didn't like figuring out. Yep. The timing of the news was all sorts of wrong. Mm -hmm. And the value plays, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit, but they didn't really start to present themselves, Really, a couple exceptions here, but they didn't really start to present themselves really today. So uh, I'm not happy about this slate, but I am happy to yeah. be here, excited to dig in. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a weird slate. The the three big teams, um, I mean, Kansas City is projected for a lot of points, but they've been struggling, and then everybody is going to want to play the Bills and the Bucks, but they're super expensive. Um, but we do have some values like always, so let's jump right into it, talking about your favorite quarterback for Week 14. Yeah, so we got to dig into these value plays because really until today, we didn't have any clarity about any sort of low mm -hmm. salary options on either yep. site at the skill position. So getting to premium salary quarterbacks seemed like a luxury we really weren't going to be able to afford in most builds this week. So I started looking at those lower salary quarterbacks and there's gonna be an obvious one you mentioned, but I think I'm gonna go back to Cam Newton. I know it was really ugly, really, really ugly last week, but really this is all about rushing upside and a high quality matchup. That's it, no more, no less. Yes, I understand that a 23% completion percentage and 92 passing yards before being benched does not make a fantasy football starting quarterback. I understand that, but we only have a one-game sample size of Cam Newton against a poor quality defense, yeah. the Washington football team, and he had a, a, he had a fine game, 77.8% completion percentage, 7 yards per attempt, 46 rush yards, and 26.2 fantasy points. That's a top three fantasy quarterback. So I don't really want to overthink this one. There are some more obvious spots that I feel like are going to be more popular. But because it's a little bit less salary than your player here, I do think that there's uh, there. this is a week where you're going to need every couple of hundred dollars yep. that you can scrounge yep. up. So I do think Cam Newton is someone I'm willing to bet on. And you're going to hear me talking about this team a little bit more later as well. Yeah, I mean, we want to be um, attacking, attacking the Falcons with just offenses in general. And I don't think anybody expects um, or expected Cam to come in and be a great passer. He's never been a great passer. Um, that's that's not how he plays, but he has been a, a good quarterback, a good real-life and fantasy quarterback. Uh, and a lot of that is because of his rushing. Uh, the, the reason that 
Cam, or one of the reasons Cam was really stymied against Miami, the same thing that they did against Lamar a couple weeks before that, is Miami just blitzes like crazy. And, like, they, they've, they'll run all-out blitzes nonstop against players like Cam and Lamar. Uh, I, I don't think we have to worry about that with the Falcons. The Falcons uh, rush five or more pass rushers at the 10th lowest rate in the league. So it's just usually their their front forward or front three, depending on, on what defense they're playing without um, much more help. And also, even though, I mean, they've struggled against quarterbacks in pretty much every respect, but they've allowed the second highest QBR and passes under 15 air yards. And that is where we want Cam to succeed as a passer. He's, he's not going to, you know, rip it deep. And, and when he does, um, he's usually not very accurate. He actually was last year, which was weird, but over the course of his career, he hasn't typically been too accurate on those passes. So I think Cam Newton is a fine play. Yeah. We really have no idea what he's actually capable of. Uh, the volatility is apparent though we could yeah. say that the highs are high and the lows are going to be very low <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um a quarterback who isn't going to have low lows is Taysom Hill at 7700 on FanDuel 5600 on DraftKings playing at the Jets the Saints are favored by five and a half with a respectable implied point total above 24 points. And, and the reason we say Taysom Hill uh, is never going to have a low floor is because he rushes so much. He's the, the closest quarterback to Lamar in terms of rushing upside. I mean, you could even argue more right now just because Lamar um, just has, hasn't been putting up a lot of points um, in any respect. But we saw... Taysom Hill get the 100-yard bonus last week on the ground. Uh, still scored over 27 DraftKings points, even with four interceptions. Over his uh, five career starts as a quarterback, 62 rushing yards per game. And we have him projected, uh, on, on DraftKings at least, as the QB7, but priced as the QB13, and, and it's similar on FanDuel. So that big gap tells us that he is a fantastic value. And everybody talks about Taysom Hill um, as a, a runner, and that's where his value comes from he's been a decent passer when he's been given a full complement of snaps now he is dealing with the injured finger this week but in three of his five starts as a quarterback at least 230 passing yards and two plus touchdowns the jets allow the third uh, most schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing quarterbacks so as long as Taysom could throw through that finger injury which um, is a big if i think he does have some ceiling uh, but he's definitely a safe cash game play this week Oh, he's definitely good cash game play. And I know this is not a betting show, but his passing yards prop is like 180. It's just completely wrong. You, you could smash the over on that. Yeah. And that's not even just talking about his rushing floor and ceiling that he gives you every single week. I mean, yeah. he had a truly terrible quarterback, a real life quarterback game against the Dallas Cowboys and still got there easily for fantasy football. He has such a high floor and it's a much better matchup this week. Yeah, and, and a lot of people have talked about the um, how, how much him and Alvin Kamara do or don't complement each other. I, I think with their really weak pass-catching core this year, I actually like him with Kamara because he has his best pass-catching option. Um, moving on to running backs, speaking of Alvin Kamara, before we get into our favorite plays of the week, um, a little news before we started the podcast today. Elijah Mitchell and Jamal Williams both out Jeff Wilson at 4,900 on FanDuel, 4,400 on DraftKings will be the value player of the week. He should be in 100% of cash game lineups. Um, and then on the Detroit side, with Jamal out, he was already a thin play as big underdogs against the Broncos. Jamar Jefferson and Godwin Iguabuke probably going to be in timeshare. So I don't think that has um, much impact on what we're doing. Uh, I mean, I, I guess... You know, maybe it looks like Aguabuque is their pass catcher. He he has a few more targets than Jamar Jefferson, but I don't I don't think I'm too concerned um, about that spot anyway. Uh, but let's get on to our favorite plays. We we mentioned that we have Jeff Wilson as um, basically the uh, the free squared that we didn't think we were gonna have this week. It lets us pay up um, for a couple spots of quarterback if, at, at running back if we want to. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I'm going to do that in my builds this week and. While this is certainly not going completely off the board, obviously, I am going a little bit rogue. There yeah. are more quote-unquote correct answers if you're looking at the 4 for 4 value metric for both DraftKings and FanDuel. But I am going to take a stand on Alvin Kamara this week. I know we just talked about Taysom Hill's viability in cash games and tournaments a moment ago. But I think Alvin Kamara has legitimately the highest floor and highest ceiling projection of any player 
in this slate because of the matchup, which is premier. The Jets are approaching three times as bad as the second worst defense in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses. And with Ingram out and Ty Montgomery out, there is so much volume to be consumed in this Saints offense, not to mention Deontay Harris is suspended as well. So I think he's basically the wide receiver one, the running back one, and the only hope of this team being able to move the ball outside of Taysom Hill. So the Jets are technically a run funnel defense. If you look at schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed, it doesn't really matter because they're absolutely terrible against every position. But for a value player, I'm often concerned with floor and median projection. Kamara looks okay. And that's probably why his value ranking is in the teens among all skill position players. But that ceiling, truly, I think he has 40-point upside in this spot here against the Jets. It's the best matchup of the year for him. And there's really no one other than Tony Jones. Yeah, I mean, he... um, Yeah, now that you say that the 40-point upside thing and and just thinking about how that game likely plays out and how bad, like, the Jets have been. The Jets have been... I actually just tweeted about it before... um, before we got on how the jets have been so bad against quarterbacks but they uh they no quarterback has gone nuclear against them only one quarterback has gone over 25 DraftKings points and like the um the garbage time narrative of like not playing a quarterback because he won't throw late in the game is is usually not a good narrative because if they are up by that much uh then they are probably already got there but teams have just been like had huge leads on the Jets all year and that has actually kind of been the case so if early touchdown variance goes Kamara's way uh he could he could really go bonkers and I I do think he is a fine play in any format but he will be a pivot um and probably far less popular than my favorite running back Austin Eckler who's priced very similarly at 9200 on Fanduel, 8300 on DraftKings as 10 point favorites against the Giants uh I mean the big deal here with the Chargers is Keenan Allen's already out Mike Williams we're still waiting to hear he's been testing negative but uh we're not sure how that's going to play out the point for Austin Eckler is already one of the most heavily targeted running backs in the league um without their primary guy in Keenan Austin Eckler's uh upside for for the past game work only goes up he's the only player on either side on FanDuel or DraftKings that has a double digit value score uh, on four for four and those value scores if you've mentioned here a lot have really been our guiding light in how we project uh, where we want to spend our salary what players we're prioritizing so if we are spinning up a play at a um, on a single player this week he's the player that I am definitely trying to prioritize and outside of Camara I mean we have like the high salary players on the slate are either not even on the slate, like our normal guys, like like Cup and Devonte, um, and some of the other running backs like JT aren't even on the slate. Or the option, like the other options, are Tyreek or Kelsey, who they cannibalize each other a little bit. There just isn't a lot of spots to spend all the way up. So Eckler actually makes sense um, as as that player for me this week against the Giants, who are twenty fourth in schedule adjusted points allowed to running backs. Yeah, matchup's great. You got to think that in the second half of the most likely outcome of this game that they are using Eckler plenty. And obviously, yeah. if the game does go awry for some reason, he's going to be u- heavily utilized through the air. I just was looking up this season, Eckler, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams have combined for a 56% target share. Yeah. I don't think that 56% number really changes if Williams and Eckler are in. If they're splitting something around like 20 to, 22 to 27% of the target share each, it's just a it's just a go no matter what. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of, of Eckler and the Chargers moving on to wide receivers, I mentioned that Keenan Allen is officially out. We're still waiting on Mike Williams. So there is there there are some really big uh, value implications with that. Um, if Mike Williams is out, Josh Palmer and Jalen Geithner probably both usable. Um, it, also, Jared Cook as well. If it's only Keenan Allen out, it's probably only Jalen Guyton that's that's still usable if Mike Williams plays because he'll probably line up on the other side. The interesting thing about the Chargers is that Jared Cooks actually run the second most routes from the slot. So if only Keenan Allen is out, I think Cook might actually be 
the biggest beneficiary. Like Eckler's still going to be a great play guy and still going to be usable. Um, but Jared Cook, if he does get a lot of those slot snaps, he can see the biggest uptick in production. So um, just make sure you're checking on the site um, leading up to kickoff tomorrow so we get full clarity on exactly what we're projecting from that game. Um, but let's go back to the game you talked about with your quarterback and his primary wide receiver is your top wide receiver in DFS. Wait, you're saying Donald Parham in a GPP though, right? <laughs> I do. You know what? I, I actually put three different scenarios on Twitter yesterday of if only Keenan is out, if only Mike Williams is out, or if both are out and who your favorite play is. And all three polls return Jalen Guyton as the best play in all three scenarios. And I think that's absolutely wrong. I think all three are, should be different answers, but, um, I'll I'll give that to I'll save that one for the for the Discord if you want want my answer but that there's no way that's the right answer that that Jalen Guyton's the answer in all three scenarios. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. All right, uh, back to my my top value here. And yes, this is still in flux as a Friday evening when we're recording. But I really like the idea of skinny stacking my quarterback pick Cam Newton with DJ Moore, who has really had no problem succeeding within putrid offenses before Cam Newton started. Uh, showing up and being hot and cold week after yeah. week. Uh, 10 targets and 103 receiving yards is pretty impressive when you consider the starting quarterback only had 92 passing yards himself. Now, I know some of those were from P.J. Walker, but the target floor is fantastic for D.J. Moore. Seven-plus looks in every single game he's played this season. He's had 10-plus looks in 50% of his games. That's just something you can't you you can't really say that about many players in the league, let alone players who are sitting at 6800 on FanDuel, 6200 on DraftKings, not a top-tier salary by any means. And Atlanta, as we mentioned before, they're the second worst defense in the NFL in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses. So when you're talking about Moore who's the wide receiver 4 in air yard share and wide receiver 5 in target share, I think you're looking at kind of a smash spot. He's uh, 20th in our expected fantasy points metric, which considering the offense he plays in, that's 20th among all players, all receivers. Considering the offense he plays in, I think that's actually pretty impressive. And he's performing right in line with expectation. So, uh, you know, 12th in receptions, 13th in receiving yards. I consider this a breakout year for DJ Moore, if you didn't already, especially considering the context of his offense. Yeah, I mean... um... DJ Moore is a weird one because I think people, um, I think people just have a a really bad taste in their mouth about this Carolina team in general this year, um, with the flux of the quarterback situation with CMC being on and off the field. DJ Moore started the season so strong and then had that stretch from week five to week ten where he only had one game with double digit half PPR points. Now in his last two games, at least 12 PP, uh, half PPR points with Cam. I don't think it's a coincidence that he bounced back with Cam. Um, and speaking of, you, you mentioned you like a skinny stack here, and I know this is a value show. I think um, it makes a lot of sense to like, I know Cam Newton is a quarterback that might profile as someone that you would run out as naked in GPPs. I think that makes sense when you have a Cam or a Lamar in an offense where you don't know where the ball is going to go. In this offense, all of the passes are going to DJ Moore, especially with CMC out. So it, it really makes sense. Even though Cam is going to run or, and, and could steal a couple of touchdowns with his legs, in GPPs it makes sense to stack them together. Yeah, totally agree. Just when we have more clarity about the concentration of an offense, then we just lean on those top options even more. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my favorite uh, high salary guy this week is Mike Evans at 7,200 on FanDuel, 6,600 on DraftKings. We briefly mentioned this Tampa Bay versus Buffalo game. Uh, Tampa Bay favored by three and a half in a game with an over-under hovering between 53 and 54, depending on, on what sports book that you're looking at. Godwin really, sta- I'm sorry, Evans really stands out to me this week because, uh, I mean, the the thing with the Buccaneers and spe- specifically their wide receivers is Evans and Godwin have always kind of hover around the same exact salary, um, you know, and, and a lot of times we've actually seen um, Evans be more expensive even after Godwin has had some of his huge target games. This week, Evans is $500 cheaper on both sides, so the value is clearly there. Even though the Bills have been very good against wide receivers this year, they still haven't been tested without uh, Tredavious White, who is out for the season. 
obviously that game last week against New England, they, uh, you know, New England throws three times in the ugly weather game. So I actually think Mike Evans can really um, sh- exploit that that weakness in the Bills secondary without Tredavious this week. Um, the, the target shares have been very balanced since Gronk returned from injury three weeks ago. Gronk, um, Mike Evans, and Godwin all averaging over eight and a half targets per game in the last three weeks. In that span, Evans still leads the team in air yards, still leads the team in expected touchdowns per hour air yards model, and he's actually fifth in expected fantasy points over uh, the last three weeks uh, among wide receivers that are playing on this main slate. And he is like a, a marginal regression candidate. He's playing slightly below expectations, still really close, so it's not like he's not popping in our model or anything, but his overall usage is, is near the top of wide receivers on this slate. And this is a great reminder to not double count things every projection system knows that mike evans is playing the bills and they are number one in most defensive pass metrics they know we know in our projection system that buffalo is number one in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers the value metric still says it's a strong play Mm -hmm. you can move ahead after that point you don't have to think about the matchup again and we know that Tampa Bay in game script adjusted pass rate, basically passes at the highest rate in the league. They're a top five team in pace. And so they create shootouts. Go back to our DFS MVP show from last week to hear more on that topic. But uh, yeah, I think this, this game, obviously highest total of the week. And Evans is the value option, especially with so much ownership going to Fournette or projected to go there. I mean, this passing attack in general. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I like that a lot. Um, you, I actually like your next guy because I think it is a spot where um, I think people might be a little gun-shy about this offense right now just because they have so many weapons. Um, but I like that you're taking a stand on one of their guys. Yeah, and this is actually where I've sort of settled in this show recently with specifically my second wide receiver pick is a player on an offense where people aren't really trusting the overall efficiency but the volume and the necessity of that team to get the ball into their playmakers top hand uh, top into their top playmakers hands yeah. outweighs any concerns about the overall efficiency here and I'm talking about CeeDee Lamb and the Dallas Cowboys and specifically this Tony Pollard injury is a bigger deal for the overall offense than I mm-hmm. think people are realizing yep. because it means that both Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard who would be in the running if healthy for the most productive or most effective player with the ball in their hands, they're hurt. They're and they're really far from a hundred percent healthy. A torn plantar fascia, that that's just gonna slow down any player, period. Yeah. I don't care if he's able to play through it. Um and you know, maybe this salary tier, seventy eight hundred on FanDuel, seventy two hundred on DraftKings is be- gonna become slightly net less necessary if the Los Angeles Chargers get more value to open up. But I really think we can get CeeDee Lamb having 10-plus targets become a consistent thing in this offense. He was back to returning punts when Cedric Wilson wasn't available last week to talk about getting it into their playmakers' hands. Um, And he's the wide receiver 14 in value on DraftKings. So he's not someone that we're saying you absolutely have to. But on FanDuel at least at the time of this recording, he's wide wide receiver six and I wide receiver six. And I think he can be a viable wide receiver one on your roster overall. I'm actually surprised to say that he had, you know, 13 targets in week 13 and now seven plus looks in five of his last six. This is really a good volume, good matchup, good salary that equals value to me. Yeah, um, the the him returning punts is actually a kind of a, a sneaky point there. I mean, I, we, I think uh, the the double dip um, that's been proven not to be very valuable because it's usually usually okay. double dipping with a with a crappy player that's returning kicks. But a um, a CD Lamb Dallas defense could be an interesting double dip if he can take a punt to the house that would be um beneficial and i agree that the pollard thing is um everyone's obviously going to say oh well now zeke can get all the work and and i guess maybe in theory that's true the problem is like the cowboys if pollard is out zeke is at a point right now i know he, i don't even know if he has an injury designation right now but he's obvious there's obviously something not right with him and i i think he needs to be spelled at at some point throughout the game and i i'm wondering if maybe the way that they spell him or give him a little bit of a rest 
is by just running um, maybe some more empty sets than than they have or than maybe than they have all season. Um, because it, it, they've said Amari Cooper isn't going to be uh, limited at all. Obviously, they have Gallup back and um, and Schultz is is a very good pass catching tight end. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them run some some empty with um, if Pollard is out. And some more snaps, I guess, for Noah Brown. If you're playing GPP, something like that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, moving on to my guy who is also um, questionable, like Pollard, is Elijah Moore versus uh, New Orleans. But he's so uh, affordable at a position where we don't have very obvious pay down op- options. I still wanted to mention him, even though we are going to be waiting uh, to get clarity on that, probably until Sunday morning. But his opportunity is huge. Already near the top of the league in targets over the last month. Uh, their number two wide receiver in targets in the span, Corey Davis, is out. Uh, Elijah Moore, 9.3 targets per game in that span. Fourth in market share of air yards in that span. The Jets are 27th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing wide receivers. And uh, I'm sorry, the, the Saints are. And the Jets have actually been above average in neutral passing rate over the last six weeks, just slightly above average. But teams have been throwing against the Saints at the uh, 10th highest rate in neutral game script in that same span. So the way to attack that uh, New Orleans uh, uh, team is through the air. And we actually seen this offense get a little bit of a spark with Zach Wilson last week. So um, maybe they finally um, let him play like he's Mike White. Yeah, (laughs) that's all we can hope. And you know what's really interesting most defensive narratives change and often change drastically year to year. Just think about last year where we were talking about Pittsburgh and LA, the Rams as some of the best defenses we've ever seen. They've certainly fallen off. One of the narratives that has held for several years now is that you can't run on New Orleans. And we see it once again this season, number one by a pretty good measure in yards per carry allowed all season long. Uh, they are a clear pass funnel defense. They're gonna, the Jets are gonna need to get over the top in order to keep this game close. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, that, that's a game that has some some stacking opportunities in it. Um, some sneaky stack stacking opportunities. Let's move on to tight end. This is one of my favorite plays of the week because it's usually hard to pay up at the position. Um, but you know, if we get uh with with the Jeff Wilson and and with the uh with the the possible having having Guyton or Josh Palmer. I actually think it's it's a nice um, week to pay up at tight end and cash games. Yeah, and the value metric is actually kind of guiding us there naturally, especially on FanDuel. It's not point chasing to go right back to the well with George Kittle. He's got a great matchup. This is the uh, this is the second tier level of Vegas total games that we always talk about targeting, and it's the closest in terms of spread here of those close of those high total games. So that's always a game we're going to want to target the top skill position players. He's a the top value tight end on both sites, and on FanDuel, it is 33% higher than the next closest tight end. It's in that 7.5 range, whereas most of the wide receiver ones are sitting at that like 5.5, 6.0 range, essentially saying Kittle is at or above the value of many of the lower level wide receiver ones, at least on FanDuel this week. Yep. His 5.2 yards after catch per target leads all tight ends and anyone who watched him last week that stat should not surprise you at all um and just the fact that if you look at his totals this year just among all tight ends he's top 10 in receptions receiving yards and total touchdowns the man was on ir he missed four four, i mean believe he missed four weeks already this season and he's still he's still top tier in totals uh seven plus looks in five of his last seven games including 12 last week and you know the offense is going to concentrate especially in the passing game against Ayuk, with Ayuk and kittle Mm -hmm. um so if debo is in obviously that puts a little bit of a damper on kittle's projection but i still think i'll go there because Cincinnati is quietly fifth worst in the NFL in schedule-adjusted fantasy points to opposing offenses. Yeah. As we said, close high total games, and get we just want those playmakers. Kittle is certainly one. Yeah, I like that we're finally getting um, Kittle going nuclear earlier in the season when we had been talking about him. We've mentioned uh, how little he has scored throughout his career, and he's finally getting um, all of that back at once. Yeah, I think if... 
if Debo plays, I think, um, I mean, obviously it'll move Kittle's projection. I think he's probably still my favorite tight end play of the week. I mean, you know, we'll have to see how, how JP moves projections, but I, I lean that Kittle's, I mean, he's just playing so well right now and they're using him so much. I don't know if, if Debo necessarily hurts him. Um, I, I briefly mentioned Jared Cook when we were talking about uh, all of the Chargers news. So he's probably the best value, but again, we still don't have complete clarity on that. But another very good value this week is Austin Hooper. At $5,000 on FanDuel, $3,400 on DraftKings against the Ravens. Cleveland uh, favored in that game, and David Njoku is out uh, with COVID. Cleveland is seventh in total team targets to the tight end position, and we saw Austin Hooper play a season-high 90% of snaps last week. Um, so, I mean, and besides Jarvis, I mean, they don't they don't really have anybody to throw to. I mean, they'll chuck a couple to, to Peoples-Jones, but he's not going to take on too many targets. So, Austin Hooper um, is a really good pay-down option this week. And you like their defense. Yeah, yeah, we can correlate it. Also, Harrison Bryant, they were using an irrational amount of three tight end sets. Harrison Bryant looks like he's trending towards out as well, giving even more clarity to this Austin Hooper pick. I like it a lot. And we've talked about this as not quite as strong of a positive correlation as the running back defense combo, but absolutely, you can stack a a tight end and their defense. And the Browns defense is one of the best value plays especially on DraftKings. On FanDuel, it's I, I wrote this in my cash game article. It's probably best not to overthink this, especially in cash games. Just play the Chargers, uh, especially against Mike Lennon yeah. with possibility of multiple receiving options being out in New York. But the only problem I have with the Cleveland defense is I'm always a little nervous starting a defense against a Russian quarterback, particularly yeah. one as good as Lamar Jackson. We have seen defenses, especially those that blitz well, able to bottle up Lamar in a way that we haven't seen before. Um, And I also don't want to lean too heavily on the fact that in week 12, Cleveland really frustrated Jackson. That's obviously exciting and why I'm picking them. But for, you know, four turnovers and just 16 points of total offense for Baltimore is something we don't see most defenses able to do for against Baltimore this year. So, um, just noting that Cleveland is top 10. That's tougher for opposing offenses in yards per carry allowed and in yards per pass attempt allowed and their own rush first, uh, their rush first offensive attack reduces the play volume of opposing mm-hmm. offenses. That's something we talked about. That negative correlation yep. is something we talked about in the DFS MVP last week. So if they play the way they want, that reduces the amount of damage that Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore offense can do. So again, it's probably not necessarily on necessary on FanDuel, but on DraftKings, they are the lowest salary positive value defense, and that's always worth noting. Yeah, um, I mean they are uh, they're a home favorite, which is fine. And usually, when I could just find the the cheapest favorite, uh, let alone a home favorite, I think it's going to be a very good value. Uh, I mean the Bills are. I'm sorry, the the Ravens obviously have been struggling on offense. I'm not convinced that Lamar's just like broken all of a sudden. Um, but I mean, the the way things have been going, I, I don't think you are, like the value is still fantastic um, playing a Browns team in this spot. Another team that is a really good value, at least a very big favorite, are the Seahawks, 4,500 on FanDuel, and then all the way down 3,100 on DraftKings as eight and a half points against Houston. Um, again, looking at, all of the big favorites, the Seahawks uh, favorite uh, teams favored by seven or more. Seahawks are by far the cheapest one on DraftKings. They're relatively affordable on FanDuel, like forty five hundred is expensive, but you should be able to get up to them in most spots. The Texans are bottom three in adjusted sack rate allowed, and they've allowed the most schedule adjusted points to um, opposing defenses. Davis Mills getting the start now, and apparently for the rest of the season. He has the fourth highest sack rate this year and the sixth highest interception rate. Um, so Seahawks are probably going to get things going too late in the season to make uh, any noise uh, for what their concerns are. But for fantasy purposes, I think Seahawks, um, they, they should roll in this one pretty comfortably. Yeah, yeah, they've been they've been better defensively. Uh, you know, some of their per play efficiency metrics are still pretty bad, but yep. against a backup quarterback, I still am going to take that every time. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, before we move on to this week's theory segment, I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up your fantasy football season. It's Underdog Fantasy and their brand new Pick'em game. Just pick over or the under on your favorite or your least favorite player stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players, and you can take home some cold, hard cash. Head over to 444.com slash underdog to claim your free pro subscription and get $10 in bonus cash to play this weekend. Don't bet the under on the Dalvin rushing total like I did last night. Let's move on to the <laughs> theories segment where we're talking about, uh, yeah, if you're going to lose, you might as well just lose in a spectacular fashion, right? Um, let's talk about handling downswings. It's something that is a reality in DFS, something that um, if you're playing this game consistently, it's uh, it's a really hard game, and even the best players um, in the world are going to have losing streaks, especially in NFL where – if you're only playing the main slate uh, on, on Sundays, you only have 18 trials to, um, to to play, and that is not a lot of reps. And I've talked about this exact quote from a Jonathan Bales book probably every season in every bankroll article that I talk uh, about this exact thing. If you have a normal distribution of tournament finishes and a 20% long-term ROI, you still have about a 16% chance of being down after a sample of 1,000 GPPs. If you're a long-term winner that only plays one tournament lineup per week, you have somewhere in a one in six chance of still being down after 62 seasons of NFL action. Obviously, that is a huge outlier. That's only playing one lineup per week. But like that, that quote just really exemplifies like how much variance can really come um, into play in this game. Uh, that that is just a very difficult to play to begin with. But let's just talk about the the point today is to like when we do find ourselves in the midst of like you know a three or four week streak where we've returned nothing. Um, what we can do to to battle it um, psychologically and just to make sure our process is staying sound in those trying times. Well, I think the first thing and maybe the most important thing to remember is that every single DFS player and really every single game player, anyone who's trying to get great at any skill deals with these plateaus consistently. Even the best in the world deal with these these downswings all yeah. the time and so yes when you have a larger or the largest bank role as some of the top professionals do you can handle those downswings differently but you can absolutely handle those downswings better so i do want to talk about some of the things that i find really important and i don't think of it as more of these tips as like a numbered list as one two three four but more of like a wheel and things that i want to check in on mm -hmm. uh congruently together because none is more important than the other but you already mentioned it variance plays such a large part in the scoring for fantasy football and that trickles down to our bankrolls to our cash outs and so it might feel better to win or lose but ultimately it was variance dare i say luck that made the difference there so yeah. the first thing you want to do when you feel like your process is ready for real time and you're putting real money on the line and you have downswings, it's just to simply increase your reps yeah. so that you know that you can, you, you know that it's then time, if things still aren't working, that it's time to move on to the next phase. But increasing your reps, especially in NFL, is harder than you think. You got to be conscientious about it, uh, but it's not impossible. And when you do increase your reps with solid process, you absolutely increase your expected value over time. Yeah, increasing reps is, um, I mean, playing more slates is, is really the only way to do it. Um, you know, playing uh, playing as many games as possible. Obviously, the reps are going to be a little bit different because the, the skill set of playing, you know, a four-game slate versus a full slate is slightly different. Playing a showdown slate isn't necessarily increasing reps on your main slate. Um, but I, I do think it is important that, you are playing uh, you know as many as possible if you're playing even just the early only slate versus the um versus the full slate like that's big enough where it plays like a full slate the early only slate and if you are playing cash games to um you know it, it gives you a naturally different lineup especially if you're somebody that only plays one cash lineup nobody like the the multi-day slates have completely fallen out of favor um 
but especially if you are learning and you're trying to get more reps, like there's no rule that says you can't play the multi-day slate. They still have the, the those available, you know, so that you can still like or, or play the full Sunday slate that includes a Sunday night game. Like that's the easy way to get more reps. And the thing about NFL is that the the pricing algorithms have changed so much from year to year um you know even within the season they'll change and the season is so short that even the the most experienced highest win rate profitable nfl player uh or players in the world like mathematically none of us probably have a sample size to say that we are definitive long-term winners in nfl dfs now most likely the players that are winning most consistently you know are the best players and the trends are most likely true but from just a mathematical like like variance perspective i don't think there's anybody in the world that could definitively say how it good or how uh precisely good they are at dfs or at nfl dfs specifically like they're just there isn't enough time um but we still want to like maximize the edge that we think we have as much as possible so if you are somebody that um isn't especially if you aren't sure if you're early in the process like play play the full slate play the full sunday slate play the early only slate play the sunday to monday slate i don't even know if a thursday to monday slate still available but play it um you know you can get you can get five full slates in a week um even though you're gonna have a ton of overlap it is still a little bit different and you are just giving yourself uh, more options but outside after we we've got there let's just talk about and a lot of this this theory segment is kind of just going to be a review of, of things that we've talked about in the past, like going back and checking on, on those things. But I mean, these are the things we need to make sure we're doing. Cause once we get, you know, 12, 13, 14 weeks into the season, we haven't, th- maybe a lot of players haven't even thought about these things in 12 weeks. Like we might have a really good review process, um, you know, before the season starts. And what, once week one hits, we're just building lineups, building lineups and not doing anything else. So dealing with downswings, I think, is a really good time to be evaluating those things. So talk about some of those things in um, evaluating your process, what we mean by that. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the one thing I'll say as we uh, put a put a bow on that part of the, the topic here is that when you play different size slates, some, something like the Sunday night, Monday night, you actually start to get used to the game theory aspects, the decision-making yeah. process yeah. that you can then recognize when you get to a main slate, mm-hmm. when you've played a bunch of two games or four game slates over the course of the year, and then you get to the Thanksgiving slate and everyone in the rest of the NFL is kind of adjusting to it, you're used to these kinds of things. So I really think that is not just an advantage in getting reps and just letting variance play itself out but also in your ability to just make sound decisions over and over again now that comes from evaluating your process so that you can improve your process and this comes down to player selection game selection and contest selection and if you're not tracking all three of those levels you're probably not adequately tracking yourself enough to know the sore spots that you have that you need to improve. And I think one area that people forget in order to like find well, well, what would improve me is they forget to just go look at people's lineups who won, yeah. Yeah. especially the, the pros who yep. consistently are winning. That is absolutely one of the most important parts of evaluating your own process. You know, look at the way that they they built their lineup. You're probably going to see correlations you know well. You're probably going to see game stacks that you thought about. Think about what they thought about to get to that lineup and ask yourself legitimately, are you building lineups that are actually built to win tournaments, to win first place, or are you building lineups with not losing in mind? Because I can guarantee you the latter will (laughs) force you to lose more often than not. Yeah, um, I mean, the... the information advantage that we have in dfs the minute lineups lock obviously you know we have games that we're waiting to start but the minute lineups lock we get to see everybody's hand right we get to see exactly what everybody has done um you know there there's no like you you you've already called you already get to see the winning hands um and the best players in the world their lineups are available to you every single week so the things that you should be looking for I mean, obviously, if you're losing, you're not having the same exact lineup as as the winning lineups because they're winning. But 
the things you should be looking for is are you targeting or have you even thought about like in gpps similar games as they have um you know sometimes we'll see i mean we saw mike leone a couple week, weeks ago took down um thunderdome with a super contrarian pittsburgh stack uh, if that's never even in your mind then maybe you need to think about your process and why you're not thinking about those types of things and then uh outside of that just look at how again we might not have the same exact players but things to look at is how are players allocating salary, especially like in you know in cash games. Were you spinning up at running back and spinning down at wide receiver? Were you flexing a running back versus a wide receiver? Did you pay an expensive running back when everybody else was playing a cheap quarterback? All of the way you can allocate salary that is a very important process. If you're just like if your builds are completely different than the winning lineups um, consistently, then you probably have a fundamental flaw in your game. And another thing for both cash games, um, but more for so gpps how are you allocating i don't know if allocating is the right word but how is ownership spread throughout your lineup like in cash games if you have a bunch of players that are not popular you're probably doing something wrong like obviously a ton of overlap isn't going to be great but the best cash game plays usually show up with very high ownership percentages and then in gpps are you being like properly contrarian? So many people say they're being contrarian, send me their lineups, and then they don't have a single player that's in less than 10% of lineups. You know, and they might be playing something like the Millionaire or the Yahoo Baller or something. And they're like, I mean, this lineup's doing so well, but you know, I'm not, I'm, I just, you know, this is dumb. I, I, I'm never going to, you know, how do I not play this guy? It's such a good play. It's like, well, yeah, that's why they're popular. Um, and, and a lot of people, a lot of people really are just very bad at being contrarian, especially if you're new to DFS because you're playing crappy players you're playing players in bad spots that's why they're they're not popular um so it, it's something that um that i i think is really important and, and people um you really should be looking at uh at at some other lineups um i know you want to talk about i, I actually kind of you, you mentioned reviewing game selection and i i talked about that um i kind of want to talk about that separately is there anything else just like on general process that you want to touch on before we talk about reviewing your game selection yeah, I think we kind of covered it. I, I, I actually set a specific tangible goal for myself that I don't want to be surprised by a single player going off. Someone who hits their ceiling, I want to have at least thought about it. And if I don't, then I'm going to go back and try to track what I missed from a data perspective. Yeah. But, you know, obviously I'm not going to have the winning lineup every time, but I, I do think that to your point of if your builds are just structurally and fundamentally different, then that's when you got to take another step back. Yeah, definitely. And then just like some, some general things that I, I think you should be thinking about again, I, I think the game selection process review is probably a, a huge leak in most people's games. Um, but I mean, just general process notes, like, how much how much or how little info you're taking in like you can definitely have information overload or you can be on the opposite of it especially if you are like a content creator or something like that where you don't have time to take in other points of view um we'll talk about reviewing the best game sites and slates but just having a, a process um to track that information um and then one, one thing just from a lineup building perspective is are you consistently late swapping like nobody late swaps ever i mean we and and they admit it like I, I put out polls every year on twitter and it's always like like i think like usually it's like less than 20 percent of people say that they use late swap kind of consistently but the the entire dfs uh ecosystem it's probably less than five percent if not even way lower and a lot of times when we're late swapping and, and we talk about this a lot on the cash game review all you're really end up doing is like losing less money not losing as much a lot of times that's what the late swap ends up doing and you still have a losing week so it could be really hard to grasp that because it's it's it doesn't feel like you won but money not lost is still money in your bank all right so if you could turn your week from you know a if, if you're a, a negative 40 percent week to only a negative 20 percent week that's still money that you're saving so it's really important so just thinking about those things um do you want to talk about how we can review our game selection process do you want to talk about like the tracking that i mentioned yeah i, I think i'll i'll talk about sort of how we can track our progress because okay. i do feel like well actually i think the biggest thing is that this is a daunting task actually and yeah. i'm still refining my process too i have in my notes uh that evaluating your process takes immense work immense work on top of the work you're already yeah. doing 
to get ready for DFS slates. And I think this is the moment, this is the part of the process that actually takes the most time. Do you have a way of tracking your your plays on a player-by-player basis, on a lineup-by-lineup basis? Or if you're playing like a small amount of lineups, I know a lot of people listening are playing somewhere between one to 20 lineups a week. Are you thinking about things on a player, like a literal decision-by-decision basis? This 2v2 versus 2v2. Because I'm not saying you should go journal every single week, but you need to have some sort of way to quickly look up your decision-making process and then be able to track your results. Um, This isn't always easy with automated software. Obviously, there are things like Roto Tracker. You can upload your history. Those are really designed for mass mass multi-entry players, players who are playing a lot of volume who want to see trends that way. Tracking progress for small entry players it requires more qualitative research than quantitative sometimes. Yeah. And, and rotor tracker is really good. Um, if you are playing relatively high volume, cause you can get a really quick snapshot of how you're playing in each game on each site, um, on each slate. Uh, so that is really important. If you do have high volume to see where you are succeeding and, and losing the best and, you know, maybe lopping out, just stop not playing some of the games you aren't, aren't good at or, um, uh, can can help really quickly like my process I like going old school spreadsheet just because I I, I break things up kind of uniquely compared to Roto Tracker. Um, but one thing especially if you're playing on DraftKings that I think should be part of your tracking process is not just looking at the lineups and seeing what the best lineups are doing they let you download CSVs of all the ownership and all of the lineups. So like it just gives you a really quick snapshot of everything that's going on. So however you want to use that, um, you know, it's up to you what's important to you, but I think it's, it's insanely valuable tool that probably most people aren't doing like, like luckily for me, it's part of my weekly content. So I'm forced to do it, but it is a really good exercise in downloading, um, you know, downloading those player CSVs and seeing quickly, you know, Oh, like not only was um you know tom brady a a good play this week but like he was in you know i don't know 20 percent of of the top 100 lineups and and i never even thought about him so going back to that point that we talked about up top is is really um that is really important let's talk about specifically reviewing we talked about reviewing our process let's talk about specifically reviewing our contest selection and, and what you mean when you are reviewing what games you're playing well Ultimately, I think different lineups are built for different contests. And, you know, we certainly have strategy shows that are based all around this concept. If you're playing one lineup or three lineups, or if you're playing against 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000 people, your strategy about lineup building can start to drastically vary. So ultimately, if you're entering cash game lineups into GPP tournaments, there might be some weeks where the optimal lineup kind of hits the cash line, but you're essentially never going to win. And there are a ton of players who are in large field tournaments who don't really know that they're basically DOA before (laughs) the tournament starts. Yeah. And that, that might sound harsh to hear, but ultimately, you know, one thing that I do look at is I, I strangely want lineups that aren't around the middle around the 50th percentiles like i'm trying to build lineups that have a legitimate potential at first place that means they have a level of uniqueness a level of contrarianism but they also mix in chalk players correctly for the context of the contest it's in so i think if especially if you're a player who like has access to the four for four uh optimizer and it really gives you comfort just to use the projections which are really top notch at four for four then maybe you want to start focusing more on cash games or small field tournaments where it only takes one deviation or two deviations from those optimal lineups. But maybe there are listeners or watchers here who like to hand build and they want to feel imaginative and then want to mix in the chalk players that they feel are worth it. Yeah. That, that type of, that type of figuring out what type of player you are takes time and you need to have a tracking process, whether it's notes or a spreadsheet, to learn what type of player you are. And once you do figure out what type of player you are, it's super important to stay consistent and keep playing those tournaments so that you can figure out if you actually are good at it. You can't just keep switching from contest to contest. Yeah, I think there is, uh, and again, this is um, specific to GPPs, but I do think there is uh, for a lot of people like a psychological 
barrier to seeing their team come in like 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 nine thousand and nine hundredth place out of ten thousand people and and not wanting that to happen again like they would rather lose and be in the 50th percentile than lose and be in the bottom five percentile like i do think that is a real thing um i and that's probably very bad like you know teams that are contrarian are you know when you're when you're a couple players dead and you have a 1% player that does nothing, you're going to be very close to the bottom. Um, and kind of similar to what you discussed, I think that people need to understand with just in looking at what, what they're playing and if they are in a losing streak or do you have a cash game heavy approach or GPP heavy approach or a mixed approach? Um, you know, if you have five weeks in a row where you haven't can come close to cashing a GPP, you might still be okay. Like, you know, you, you want to be reviewing, but there's a chance you're still okay. If you have four, four or five weeks in a row, like if you're playing a hundred head to heads every week and you have five weeks in a row where you're like only winning like 10 or 15% of your head to heads, like you probably have some huge error in a game. That just, it just doesn't, that, that usually isn't the case in cash games. It's obviously very possible, um, but just more likely that you are, um, you're, you're in a bad spot. And then, same thing you said a lot of people are just dead on arrival once they enter the contest this is again this is probably more gpp specific but if you're playing the same exact lineups and say the millionaire as you are in like a small field high stakes uh, contest you're probably not playing optimally you're, you should be building different types of lamps i'm not saying don't put like i i always throw my my like my high stakes uh single entry lineup in the millionaire just because if it does go bonkers i would lose my mind but like you don't have to do that that could get expensive um but you should be building different based on on the type of tournament you're playing um i i think a couple other things are just like really quick hitting game selection things um are you lo actually looking for the best structures like there are there is something to be said for chasing flatter payout structures. Now you will lose some upside, but I do think it is really important to find good game structures. Um, and on that note, if you're just one thing that can happen is it, if you're used to playing one game, whether whatever site you're on, the the games have the names, right? Those like if you're playing like the Power Sweep or whatever on DraftKings, those structures actually flu can fluctuate quite a bit from week to week. So make sure you're just looking at that in some way. Um, are you seeking overlay? Um, are you building upside into your cash lineups? Like are you throwing those into small tournaments or to multipliers all those things add up to um to really getting more money into your account like just because you're a winning player if you're not doing all these things th throwing your lineups into other types of contests seeking the best contest this all goes to your bottom line yeah and i'll add one to that the concept of layering something that we talked about too where in contests that are multi-entry that are like 3x or 5x we talked a lot about entering your cash game lineups in there but those multi-entry contests can also accept your single entry lineups your three entry lineups yeah, and yeah. so if one of them goes off and you're getting 5x or 10x suddenly a day where all of your other lineups drew dead that one helped your entire week you want that one win you want that one lineup to help your entire year entire yeah. decade if it you know that's ultimately why we're talking about the strategy concept but let's talk about the final step here and this is probably the toughest step and it's going to be different for every single person out there but this is when okay so we've talked about these scenarios where you know things look bad and you might have a fundamental problem that applies to you well, I actually think that getting out of your desk, getting out of your computer is the most important part. Let's take the psychological side of this seriously for a moment. I'm not saying you have to be all therapist on yourself for a moment, but seriously, take your ideas for a walk. If you don't know that phrase, a lot of people have found that when they are moving or even just doing some sort of light exercise, light walk, like walking, they're able to take an idea or just pontificate a little bit further take take their ideas a little bit further which is really all we want we want to just be slightly different than our competition while analyzing the same information mm -hmm. so on that same note we want to be eating better than our competition if we can we want to be sleeping better if we can we want to be exercising better i know this sounds silly or just like hogwash and you can toss it if you want but all of this leads up to making optimal decisions when we're in an optimal state we can we have a higher probability of making decisions better than our opponents and remember this is a game of razor thin margins where we're just making slightly better decisions than our opponents in order to win so finally just i i 
I know this is different for everyone, but this game also requires a bit of imagination. Yep. Projections don't win GPPs. I mean, I'm talking a little bit more about tournaments now, but projections don't win those, especially median projections. It's about making slightly different decisions and coming to high quality different decisions actually requires you to be in a good state of mind. So if you know a way to flex that imaginative muscle, I encourage you to do that as well. Yeah, I think, um, and and on the flip side, you mentioned, you know, we've done these reviews and and all of a sudden we find find these leaks that we need to plug up. I think it could be even more frustrating if you go through all the review processes that we talked about and you still feel like you're doing the right thing and and like, okay, now what the hell do I do to to deal with this losing streak? Um, I think that could be just as, if not more important. Um, One thing, and I know we only have 18 weeks, I mean you can take a week off. Like there's nothing that's there's there, even though we, you know, we said play more slates to, to get your, your volume up. Like if you're just, if you're struggling, um, like if, if building a lineup all of a sudden feels like a chore to you, take a week off. Like you, you might come back hungrier. You might come back more focused. You might come back with less stress. You might come back more excited. Um, but there's, there's nothing wrong with just taking a, a slate or a week off. I mean, and and kind of to the, a, a similar note, um, one, one there's there's a poker coach named Tommy Angelo and he focuses kind of on the psychological side of poker and he has this um, this practice that he has a lot of students do and, and it's uh, he has them fold pocket aces um, before the flop and it's just it's it's basically just a practice in in separating yourself from the results and like you're not married to these aces and obviously it's a negative EV play right but it's just something like prove to yourself that you do this thing I, I think kind of a, a similar practice and, and I've done this a lot of times to remove yourself from the results I know we love football and I, I know it like we only get so many weeks to do it there's times where like I'll just take a Sunday off. I'll set my lineups, but then I'll just go take a Sunday off and do something and not watch the games. And obviously we lose a little bit of information, but nobody knows how to watch film anyway. You guys don't know what you're talking about when you say you do. Um, Like just that kind of separates yourself from the results. And it is kind of liberating to have these set lineups, not be watching the games, come back to the results. You almost are like, you're not tied to these, like all these what if scenarios, watching the games, losing your mind. I think it is a, a fun little practice. I, I know it's not for everybody watching the games. Half the sweat is the fun, but you know, try it one week and see how you feel. Um, and you talk about the, the imagine, imagine, uh, imagination part of it. Like there is a lot of very um, complimentary uh content out there whether it be reading or videos that is it's not dfs related but it's related to how we think about games how we think about strategy how we think about math variance life um jonathan bales has put out some incredible uh book lists that that i think probably most people haven't even put a dent in and i that's probably one been one of the biggest um differences in my games and just like learning how to think differently learning how to think about games if you're if you're a football player and you've played fantasy football but you haven't ever played anything like you know chess or poker or something like that or just done anything where you're just thinking about these game theory theory type scenarios um randomness and stuff like that i I think it really can um open up your your mind quite a bit and and then one other thing i would say is like if you are going like I, i think one thing that if you've reviewed all these processes it's really easy to get spread thin right i think most people are probably playing too much or too many games or sites especially for new, like focus on a single game and a single website and get really, really good at that. And even if you have results and you know, you might be a slightly better cash game player than a GPP player. If you like GPPs more, play more of them, practice more of them because you're gonna have fun researching it and, and getting it. And if you don't like the variance of, of GPPs, like who cares what everybody else says? If you're not, you know, maybe you'll never win a million dollars, but if you like grinding cash games, like get really, really good at that. Become the best cash game player in the world. Like it's it's supposed it's you know it is stressful and and we are a lot of times wagering a a a ton of money but make it as fun as possible for yourself yeah it absolutely has to be fun enough so that you can put in all this work all this peripheral work we're talking about that's outside of just picking your lineup and just trying to play the best players yeah just to close things out i think we've kind of gone through a broad range of topics here and i hope we helped you guys out if you're kind of going through a down spell here um just some final reminders evaluating your process takes immense work i just said it but just know that that work is incredibly valuable 
in knowing yourself as a decision maker. You can't fully evaluate yourself on a single season of DFS split slates, especially just main slates. And you really can't evaluate yourself uh, anything close to even five or 10 seasons. There's still a lot of variance in there. That's just the nature of the game. Final thing I'll say is if you're playing to lose, you probably already did. And please avoid the gambler's fallacy. No one is due in DFS. Yeah. We can show you our breakout receiver model. We can try our best to show you or, or things like that. But absolutely no one is due in DFS. Yeah. And if you if you're listening to this podcast, watching this podcast or subscribing to 444, Hopefully those losing streaks have been very minimal, if not at all. And hopefully you don't need to use this segment too often. But I think it is um, super valuable and, and probably inevitable. Um, if you're watching here on YouTube, please like and subscribe to the uh, YouTube channel. And also check out our podcast. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, please rate and review on iTunes. And go check out our YouTube channel. Just a reminder, um, if you haven't signed up for the 4 for 4 DFS subscription yet. The rest of the season price is down to $24 and make sure you're checking out our other live shows, cash game review on YouTube every Monday at 2 PM Eastern time, the Yahoo DFS value show with Yahoo's Matt Harmon every Saturday on both the DFS MVP and the Yahoo podcast feeds GPP last look show every Sunday morning at 11 AM Eastern time with Jordan Vanek on the subscriber only discord. And please follow all of us on Twitter. Four for four is at four for four football. Matt is at draftaholic. I'm at TJ Hernandez. We'll talk to you guys on Monday.